Hello there, my name is Danny Anderson and I have five questions for interesting people. This is an interview project for the Untaking Substack. The idea behind this series is to amplify the voices of people who think enough of the world that they're willing to do interesting things to make it a little bit better. People who haven't settled into cynicism. I have five questions for them with maybe a little follow-up here and there. Hope you enjoy it. If you'd like to answer the five questions yourself or think you know someone who might, feel welcome to send me an email at the Untaking Substack. And while you're there, please consider signing up for the newsletter, which is entirely free. That way you won't miss any interesting people. And now here's five questions with interesting people. Well, hello there. I'm Danny Anderson. Welcome back to another episode of five questions for or with interesting people. I think I changed the preposition uh, back and forth when I talk about this show. But uh, nonetheless, today I'm talking to Tim Rhodes, and I'd like to let Tim uh, introduce himself another way, whatever way he would like to. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've not thought about this at all until this moment, so I don't know what. I am. I uh, My name is Tim. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I am a writer and uh, somewhat a producer. Um, and... Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know much more than that. Live in a, uh, a highly uh, immigrant refugee community, um, and are just uh, trying to learn, you know, how to be a better neighbor. I always tell people I'm an aspiring good neighbor, <laughs> and I feel like that's become a lot of my about me recently. Is how do I advocate for my community interpersonally and on a public policy level? And I don't know the answer, but I'm trying to figure it out. I love the catchphrase, though, aspiring good neighbor, right? That should be something we all uh, get tattooed somewhere on our bodies. <laughs> I think that's a really good one. So, well, Tim, welcome. Um, and I have to say, I, I met Tim before. He actually zoomed into a class that I taught once a couple of a year, a year or two ago. Somewhere, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and he was really, really uh, a great, um, uh, I don't know, model for this class I taught about writing. And, uh, and I read my class really enjoyed speaking to him and I hope you enjoy uh, listening to him answer the five questions and I'll shoot the first one out right now. Sure. So Tim, how is it that you're trying to make the world better with the work that you're doing? Yeah. So this one, uh, I, I, I kind of pinch myself I, and I don't take what I do for granted, but I, again, as a writer, um, I work for a, a nonprofit where I basically get to tell stories about people around the world doing really interesting and amazing things. Um, and I, I can't believe it. It was like a, a college dream of mine. Like I would love if I could do any sort of storytelling, any media production, this is what I want to do, but it's not, I just never thought that would be possible to actually make a living off of it. But, um, that's what I've been up to for the last few years. And it's just been incredibly gratifying just finding people that are running to the hurt, running towards the need instead of away from it and doing so in very like you know, not, not very flashy ways. They're just doing it. They just see a need. They don't assess the cost. They just go at it. And being able to share their stories when they probably wouldn't want to or really care, they're not interested in that. They're interested in just doing the work and helping people. And uh, so, you know, it's just people that I want to be like, but I, I'm not, I, I don't, I assess the cost. I assess the, I, I care about my comforts and my, you know, my free time and seeing people that just, they just jump into something. They just see something like an imminent need and jump in headfirst. Uh, really inspire me, and so I just love getting to to share their stories. It's it's amazing. Can you give me an example of a perhaps recent um, story, yeah. the kind of thing that you do? 
I would I would be happy to. And there's one relatively recent one that I'm I'm really excited about. Um, in January, I was able to go uh, with the team and film a story in Thailand, in northern Thailand. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, about a family that uh, they um, uh, went to like you know uh, uh, the the husband there's a husband and wife and they have a couple kids. The wife was a nurse, but also an educator. The father went to seminary to be a pastor, and they moved up to um, northern back to their hometown in northern Thailand, uh, Chiang Mai or Chiang Kham. I'm sorry, and with the desire of like, okay, we'll just we'll just teach at schools. Maybe the, the husband will plant a church. We'll just, just, they had these like aspirations in their life. Um, but when they got there, they started hearing rumors about um, human trafficking just happening just in their neighborhood even. Um, and they saw this need, they they you know, as the more they learned, the more they, the more they could see, the, the more they realized how big of a problem this is. Um, and this was like early nineties. So this was like 30 years ago. And they just, start taking in people that either had been trafficked or were vulnerable for trafficking people in poverty and um, just started taking people at home. And it started with two or three, four um, young girls. Um, and uh, pretty quickly it, it ballooned into over a hundred girls. They had to, they had to find a whole new place, build, you know, home. I mean, they just had to kind of, they re totally restructured, reconfigured their lives in order to help this this just incredible need and it's something that they've been doing for you know decades now it's just a family it's just it's just this very deliberate like purposeful but it was totally out of their purview they were not thinking that they were you know and now it's just a, a daily thing for them they um they care for you know again over 100 girls between the ages of 5 and 18 they provide a safe place that way the kids can go to a local school um and they do it through high school so they just you know, they're able to to not only get a, an education, uh, which is hard to come by, especially in more, you know, impoverished villages um, in northern Thailand. And they just they just love, uh, love these kids so much and um, just show them that they're 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 meaningful. They have purpose. They have worth that they're um, significant. And it's just a, and and they don't they don't, you know, seek any sort of attention. So even going and sharing their story, they're they're all kind of like, well, why? Why are you doing this? What's going on? You know, I don't know. It was those are the kind of people I'm like, okay, I want to be like you that just they just do they do it because they you know there's a need. They do it because they yeah. I don't know they want to to help other people. I, I I just loved it. And you're um, providing us all examples to sort of live up to uh, by, oh, by the work man. that you do. And um, and at the end of this, I'll ask you if you want to share the link to the the organization where, where they can find oh, your writings sure. if people want to. Okay. Um, find, and I'll put that link in this uh, whatever description that comes with this uh, episode as well. So. Um, excellent. And given the nature of your work, I'm really interested in the next question. How did a particular place uh, make you who you are? Yeah, so this one, there was a couple of ideas I had, but and I think um, my wife and I, we were really fortunate about 10, more than 10 years ago now to actually live in Moscow, Russia um, for a couple of years. And um, I feel like there's a lot of reasons that it was a big deal and it was really transformative for us. But um, and I feel weird saying this is a weird, weird one, weird reason to say, but I feel like we, despite the fact that we could pretty easily blend in to the rest, you know, the culture around us, we could, you know, with that, of course, before we started speaking, and then it, the jig was up, we're not Russians, we, we, but um, we could blend in pretty easily. But I feel like one of the things that, you know, helped make us who we are is we, we 
we felt we we were the we were in a minority, you know, in mm. in Moscow and in, in Russia, and kind of having that awareness now of other other people on the margins in our lives um, and in our spaces. I think it really, you know, my wife before then she had worked for a refugee resettlement organization, and so we had already sort of started moving in the direction of um um of a uh, of of awareness of people just in our own vicinity and around town cities that um that maybe were kind of uh, ignored you know or vilified even at times um so we're already moving in that direction but then moving to russia where we really felt that again even though this is not a one-to-one -one comparison because again we could blend it we could get away with just no one knowing anything about us um but just just kind of having that awareness now and being being more on the lookout for um for for those people on the margins again um really influenced i think once we came back to the us uh where we decided to move uh where we decided to 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 reach out and organizations we decided to work with and volunteer with um really trying to advocate for people that um again are ignored at best but vilified at worst you know turned into these you know villains in our in our community so um that really i think really just having that ability to kind of step back and feel like we were a part of this, this minority really sort of um, impacted us pretty, pretty greatly. Yeah. Being unsettled um, is a really yeah. great way in developing empathy <laughs> for people yeah. who, who aren't necessarily part of the center of, of a culture. And, and yeah, that's a really, that's a really great answer to that question. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and now this is sort of the, the deep and dark portion of the show but think about a person that you've lost and mm -hmm. how the shape of your life changed to sort of adjust to that loss mm -hmm. um yeah this one was a was an easy one even though i'm still working it i feel bad it's been it's been two and a half years now i feel like i should, i always feel a little bit guilty for still feeling the weight of things like i'm being dramatic i know it's not the case but i feel <laughs> that way you know uh but my father actually passed away uh two and a half years ago um and uh it's still it's still something i'm I'm really processing um so i don't even, so yeah so a lot a lot of the shape a lot of shape of life has changed um oh man i don't even know where to start it was just it was a the the death itself was tough because it was um sort of a surprise he had been in the hospital for a couple weeks but even the day that he died there was this anticipation of of that he would be okay um you know that he would he would come out of things but um so it was it was kind of sudden. He was living in, in a different country. It was during COVID. We couldn't travel to, to see him. Um, so it, there was that element of just this sort of like there was no closure. You know, there was no um, sense of like a, a goodbye or a, a last thing, you know. But then also um, my dad, uh, I, I loved my dad dearly, but he was just um, a, being a father was not his strong suit. <laughs> he uh, he was he was uh, after the eight, my after eight years old, he was gone most of my life he left when I was eight years old and we still saw him off and on um but there was just definitely this this absence um and I think you know a couple of questions before storytelling I think there's always this idea like with storytelling there has to be this like if there's a conflict there has to be like a resolution you know and there's there's got to be a certain point where like things are mended and there's this sort of uh uh Re reconciliation or reunification and so in my mind I just always had this optimism that things were tough and 
he wasn't the father I, I needed, right? I mean, he, you know, I needed more, but that will happen. Maybe he'll come to this realization and we'll have this sort of like act three resolution where we just come together. And, and the fact that that didn't happen either, you know, was was really tough. Um, just his loss was very, very hard, but also the the hope, you know, of, of something like that was very difficult. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, I, yeah, it was just really, really hard. And, and then, and then also, again, sorry, the shape of my life changing is, is also acknowledging or being kind of being aware or being um, okay with the idea of like complexity, because my father, uh, you know, was, again, he was not a, a good dad. He was, <laughs> um, but, you know, just hearing um, other relationships, other family members, other friends, just talk about him as a person and how loyal and how trustworthy and how just wonderful of a human being he was to them. At first I was, re I got really upset and not to them. I didn't say anything, but I was very mad yeah. because I was like, Oh, we never, what are you talking about? That's not him, you know, <laughs> but then realizing, Oh no, he probably was, you know what? And, 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 and this sort of, um, you know, cognitive dissonance of, is it possible to be a really bad father but also still a, a good friend or a good, per you know, and, and kind of wrestling with that um, complexity of maybe, I don't know, anyways, but then also, and then also, see, you know, wanting my, you know, my dad, his last eight or so years, he was living in Mexico. And I think really had kind of, he'd been wrestling with a lot in his life and was dealing with a lot of depression. And I think he'd finally reached his point where he was very happy. And, you know, as someone who loves my father, wanting him to have that happiness, just really, wishing we we were there for it as well or we were you know even if not geographically not that we have to be close to him physically but just being a part of his life during this you know we really really i really would have loved that and um so also like loving him and also acknowledging like i'm i'm happy it's a bittersweet thing i'm happy that he was in a really good place and i'm, I'm really overjoyed that he i think was in a one a really accepting community um but just wishing i could be a part of that as well I don't really know if this answers. I don't know if this answers the question, but it's a lot of things I was kind of, I've kind of been working through over the last couple of years, and and still kind of unraveling and unpacking things. And um, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. That was. I mean, honestly, that was an immensely great answer. And um, yeah, I appreciate it. And I can see how that um, unfinishedness just spurs you on to keep seeking, right? And, yeah. and I. I yeah. I would imagine that somehow connected to the work that you do uh, somewhere. And incidentally, my dad died two and a half years ago as well. Um, remember, and in the yeah. middle of COVID, you're right. There is, you don't get the normal, quote unquote, normal funeral service, the memorial, right? Wow. And so it just sort of, it's over and now what, right? And so, yeah, you do, it is a, um, I think there, there, there are stories to be written about that kind of an experience. And so yeah. thank you. Um, thank you for that, Tim. No, well, thank you. Um, I, I want to say that I, I remember, you know, speaking about it over Twitter and I just remember just being really moved by a lot that you had said, I don't know. I just really appreciate that because I feel like it allowed me, gonna, I'm not trying to no. sound so corny, but um, I'm really good at like pushing away um, pain. Like I'm really good at, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, compartmentalizing oh yes absolutely yes. 100 so when my dad died i'm the oldest son of the family so i was kind of the one in, involved in letting people know let doing all the things and so it kind of allowed me to not wrestle deal with the immense pain that i was feeling yeah and um but i feel like reading what you said and just kind of seeing that it kind of helped help me be okay with 
with uh with kind of addressing it and processing it myself and working through it and and my wife and I I feel like I can't say anything without my wife was wonderful as well. Her father passed away when she was twelve and uh, with cancer and and her being there kind of like point out also like oh Tim you're doing this right now not in a, not in a it was an incredibly loving and helpful way but to kind of acknowledge where I was at in this kind of grieving um, I think was immensely helpful as well to help me kind of be more aware and be more okay with um, uh, reckoning and, and like coming face to face with a lot of the the difficulties yeah yeah we very much need other people um at most times in our life especially at a time like yeah. that so yeah well let's uh brighten it up a little bit and talk about a beautiful thing that most people don't appreciate enough it's kind of a core concern of mine with what yeah. i do this okay so i feel like the next two were tough for me the first three i feel like there's not a they're they're cemented like they're 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 stuck for me like you know in a way of like i don't think that's going to change anytime soon uh, but these last two are like, I feel like they're kind of, I could, I could see myself, you know, I'm very sort of emotional, uh, a very, you know, spur of the moment. I could see these two kind of maybe changing. But one thing I've been on recently, I don't know why, and I feel kind of guilty because I've been reading Wendell Berry recently and it's now I'm like, oh man, do I really feel this way? But one beautiful thing I think people don't appreciate and not, not to criticize the, well, I'll just say it. I, I think I, I really love city when done well cities. I think cities. I just, I just love cities, but I feel like so often in stories or in life, they get sort of this comparison of like the country, rural life and how that's more kind of unvarnished and more real while cities like you're, you're, you're tarnished, you're, you're, you know, you become a different person, you become corrupted by being yeah. in it. And I think when, when done right, I think cities can be a, a wonderful and remarkable place. So I, I don't know why I've been on that train of thought lately. I don't know what, what's caused that, but um, I think that's, cities can be really beautiful but so often they're they they're kind of the the villain of the stories they're the corrupter yeah. and i'm just like i don't think that's necessarily you know it can be but um i just i just kind of push against that a lot recently so <laughs> I, that is actually a real deep interest of mine as well uh in i won't go into the the throes of english phd <laughs> you know life but oh, uh <laughs> that that is a topic that i'm really drawn to and uh and i totally agree with you um, and I think a lot of the things I'm drawn to about cities are the kind of like the rustiness of some of them. I, I, I just went on vacation, as you know, um, to Great Britain and France. And so I got to visit a lot of different places. And one of my favorites, I'm going to actually write about it. Uh, I guess by the time this comes out, I will have already posted a thing about Dover, England. Mm -hmm. And it's um, it's really uh, it's where Matthew Arnold set Dover Beach, uh, this great contemplative poem. But the the city itself now is a shipping town. It's a little bit rusty and grimy, um, but still it's got this beautiful setting. And I just loved Dover. Like I loved it. And 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 I, I absolutely love um the the city because of all those those things that we count as like the things that HGTV would reject, right? Uh, that, yeah. That's kind of the thing that makes it interesting to me. Uh, yeah, and so yeah. I, I totally agree. And I lived in New York City for a while in the 90s. And uh, yeah. and so, yeah, I've always had a bit, and I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. And so I've always had a big uh, a big soft spot for cities. I, I, I do love awesome. cities too. So yes, um, it, even though now I live in the country, but uh, <laughs> I love to go to cities when I can. So um, I've become a big fan of Philadelphia. I live quite not that close to Philadelphia, but I, I get to go to Philadelphia and I love to go when I can. So, um, well, and finally, you said you had a hard time with this question, yeah. uh, but if your life were a novel, 
what might the last chapter be? And wherever you want to take this question is totally fine. Yeah, I don't, I really struggle with this. Um, and I, I, I thank, first of all, thank, I feel like a lot of the way I, I work through things is through talking. So a lot of these answers, I may have had an, an, an inkling of an idea, but then just talking it out kind of helped me, you know, figure out what I really thought. <laughs> so this is one that, as well. I don't know. I don't know. I think it would just be a very quiet final chapter. I've been wrestling a lot with um like the trap of like, especially now that we have social media, this desire to be like seeking. And I'm guilty. So I'm saying this, I'm saying, I'm pointing it all at me, you know, in my own life, but this desire to be like to, to for attention and for acceptance and approval sure. and feeling like, you know, um, if I'm not on social media, do I even exist really? You know, if people don't know what I'm doing, not even that I want to brag about it, but just if they're not aware of what's happening, then theoretically I'm not doing anything. You know, right. it, it's, it's a weird tension of, I want to be at this place where I'm okay. Not, not, um, I don't know, not, a just, just having a sort of quiet life that being said, but, but really, again, going back to the idea of neighbor and aspiring good neighbor, but really with the focus on how am I, how am I interacting? How am I caring for the people around me physically? You know, the, this sort of physical community, how am I, I don't know, just how am I, how am I standing in with them? How am I, how am I caring about their liberation and their, their success and their flourishing? That's kind of become this focus. So I feel like if it were in my final chapter, it would be hopefully just a very quiet, there would it be maybe anticlimactic, you know, maybe it's just this ongoing thing. You know, I feel like a lot of the the work that we're volunteering, a lot of the things we're doing have been happening for decades now before I was even a lot, you know, and they will be happening long after I'm here. So it kind of takes away the pressure of like, oh, I've got to save the world. I've yeah. got to save the neighborhood. I've got to save the public schools in our community. But it's more of just just being a cog in that and just being one person and and not doing it because I, I desire success or I desire um, acknowledgement or anything, but doing it just because, you know, these people are in my community. Yeah. I, I love I love my neighbors, that sort of thing. Anyways, yeah. that was a lot of rambling. I don't know if that arrived anywhere, but that's kind of where I've been at lately or working at least working through and wrestling with. I'm actually reminded you you threw out Wendell Berry in the the last answer and, and something along the lines of what he what he argued for in, in a lot of his work, right? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, and and uh, and also a, a, another interview I've done in the series with Adrian Nybauer, he talked about himself. Do you know Adrian? Um, um, I know the name. I think oh. I recognize him from oh. Somewhere somewhere so I, he's I on twitter him. and stuff yeah. yeah that might be it then yeah that's it but he um uh kept referring to himself as a his life as his drop in the bucket yeah. right and, and so and you just sort of dissolve back into the and, and i just think it's a really beautiful way to uh to think about yourself um more in the context of the neighbors that you're serving right and, and less as a heroic romantic individual right you know and, and so no i i think that that's a that's a beautiful final chapter in a, in a novel and so uh it reminds me of a, have you ever read any wallace stegner by any chance i have not no okay i love his books but they're very quiet i mean they could people could describe it as boring i don't think that's the case because yeah. it's about very plain lives sure. you know but i love the idea of it's just you know one book uh i think it's called crossing to safety and it's just uh, a husband and wife and and other people they know in their neighborhood and their community and it's just about 
um, as the book progresses, you know, a husband's caring for his wife who's um, dealing with with illness. And it's it's just a quiet, beautiful novel. There's nothing flashy. There's nothing sort of uh, extravagant that happens, but it's just still beautiful in the way that it um, just describes a, I don't know, a husband and wife and a family. It's just, it's just a, stuff like that. I'm like, I kind of, I'm, I feel like I'm leaning more, <laughs> more towards that than like the, uh, yeah. the extravagant. I don't know. Many years ago when I was guesting on the Christian humanist podcast, um, we did an episode, I, this was Michael Farmer's choice, um, about the Willa Cather short story, neighbor Rosicki. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever read that story, it's but been a while. What you're describing totally reminds me about that amazing and beautiful short story. Um, and so, yeah, I, that's a recommendation I'll throw out there for everyone else to look it up yourself and find it. It's got to be public <laughs> domain, Willa Cather, right? So, um, so um, well, Tim, thank you so much. This was so enlightening and so kind of inspirational and moving and beautiful. Uh, I really, really appreciated talking to you. I do want to give you a chance to lead people to the work that you're doing. Do you have a, a is there a website or is that where they can find sure. you? Um, I guess a, a way to kind of, you know, a place that you could go if you really want to see some, some of my work that I'm, 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 I'm working on. It's, it's most of it is honestly just links from other places, but it's a, a, a site called whistlingblue.com. That's sort of my, I have a little like kind of side freelance hobby site. So it kind of has some video projects I've worked on, uh, writing projects. Um, it, um, it's kind of just easy. It's kind of just everything. Instead of going to all these different locations, I kind of try to put stuff there. Um, it's very minimal. Very, I, I, yeah, I feel like it's always, a, I've been, I've had this site for years now, but it's, I still always tell people it's a work in progress. I don't feel it hasn't arrived yet. You know, it's still just kind of, you know, tinkering on it, but that would probably be the best place just to kind of see if, if you're interested in, um, and uh, yeah, so I guess. Awesome. You know, and I will put the, I'll put a hyperlink to that in the description uh, of this video and this audio link, uh, wherever you're consuming this. And I just want to thank Tim Rhodes for uh, joining me for this really good episode, really interesting episode of five thanks. questions for interesting people. And thank you for listening or watching. And if you would like to answer the five questions, feel free to reach out to me through the Substack. I'd be happy to uh, to chat with you as well. Thank you, Tim. Have a great day.